Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I'm surrounded by the handsome and intelligent, the highly articulate students from the Scottsdale Christian Academy. Uh, it goes pre-K through 12, but this group is 10 through 12. Am I right? Right! Right! right. They say demonstratively. Now, behind me, there's a young man named Tristan. He's right here. And he said just a minute ago to his friend, is this live? And we said, yeah. And he said, it's my moment to shine. <laughs> so Tr any Tristan says, hi, Mom. Anything else you'd like to say? Oh, he's shining. He is shining. <laughs> yeah, I think someone said Jesus is Lord. And we all agree with that? Amen. All right. Thanks, you guys, for being on the show. Exit stage right. You're getting applause. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to participate in this ministry. May he be with you and us tonight. Join us on Sundays. We hold church deconstructed every Sunday. We meet at 10 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. Uh, this Sunday we uh, do communion. If you would like to experience, there's a picture of uh, campus uh, what the meetings look like. If you'd like to experience the campus uh, gatherings, uh, go to www.hotm, no, excuse me, uh, go to campus.com for more information, and there's hyphens between uh, campus. And also on Sunday afternoon, AM820 replays Heart of the Matter uh, from 1 to 2 p.m., I think AM820 is the best Christian radio in Utah. Check them out. Russies, come up here really quickly. Uh, the man who brings these groups out uh, is this guy who makes me look like I'm thin and, and short, and he is this big husky friend of mine. This is Russies with Utah Partnerships for Christ. He brings these kids out, and he take, what, what do you do with them? I, well, you know, today we were at Temple Square. We were sharing the love of Christ with people. Uh, we've been at a ward on Sunday. We, we got to invite people to our facility for dinner. We... People get in contact with Utah Partners uh, for Christ. Sure, if they want to go to our website, just the acronym for Utah Partnerships for Christ, U is in Utah, P is in Partnerships, F is, F is in 4, C is in Christ.org. All right, thanks All right. so much, my thanks brother. So. Thank you. Okay. All right, in two weeks, uh, March 10th, we're going to be holding our annual open water baptisms. Uh, that's Saturday, March 10th, at the following locations 9 a.m at the Logan Alpine Church, 12 p.m. at the Riverdale uh, Alpine Church. Derek, help me, I have the wrong notes. Th 3 p.m., the Church at Liberty Park in Salt Lake City. That's the Church at Liberty Park in Salt Lake City. And 6 p.m. at uh, in Provo at the Provo Baptist Church. Bring a towel, change of clothes, uh, and a desire to publicly commit your life uh, to following the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank uh, the Church at Liberty Park, Alpine, Logan, and Riverdale churches, and Provo Baptist for opening up their facilities. They don't charge us. We show up. If you want someone to baptize you, a believer to baptize you, have them come along. It's just an open thing for you and the Lord to have that, uh, do that, that uh, uh, ordinance in His name. Uh, and so 
please join us. Friday nights, 8 p.m. right here on AM820. Uh, TV20, tune in as Bishop Earl interviews people who were once LDS and are now born-again Christians. The name of the show, The X-Files. If you want to be interviewed, um, email Bishop Earl at www.x, I mean, mormonxfiles.tv. xmormonfiles.tv. Uh, excuse me. Regarding that, we uh, have gotten an email and I imagine if we get one email, other people might have this concern. This is from Bruce. He says, my wife and I recently turned into the X-Files for the first time. And even though the content was excellent, we believe this approach to Mormons is one of the best we've seen. We felt that the music at the beginning and end of the show was so off-putting that the Mormon people we know that we would recommend this show to would be tempted to turn the channel before the meat of the show came on. We thought that since your daughters have such nice voices, they could come up with a short song from scripture and... Um, it would be far easier to listen to. Um, Bruce, I wrote back, we thank you for your insights. From a technical and entertainment standpoint, he is probably absolutely right, but he, you might not understand our intention. Um, and we have purposely placed uh, the elements in, in the beginning of the show and at the end of the show for a reason. First, we are in reality comparing uh, ourselves in this small, um, Christian broadcasting station and a small ministry against a monolithic, giant, worldwide religious conglomerate who does everything perfect. Their shows on uh, their commercials, their ads, their presentation is spot on. And uh, they rely on that marketing ability to uh, reach people, and many people are reached that way. But uh, you see, we're, 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 not, um, we're not about that. We're, not, we're showing another side, and we don't care if we look refined or if, it, or if we uh, do, do things a certain way. We do it because it comes from the heart, and we pray that the Spirit of the Lord will lead those people who are pure in heart to find the truth. Second, we believe the lyrics by Ian Anderson perfectly reflect the method uh, the methods the LDS use to rear uh, people in the church. And third, our program is completely unedited, unproduced, unrefined expressions from the heart. Uh, Bishop Earl doesn't practice with people. We don't do different takes. We don't take what things out. We go straight editing. And the person who sings that, obviously not trained, uh, he, he sat down at a, at a device and recorded it in one take. We said, you got one take. He did one take and we do it. And then you might say, well, this is ridiculous. It doesn't have to be that way. We also do it in black and white because the issues are black and white. They are not gray. There's no uh, mixing up the truth here. It's black and white. Now, all those artistic things might not mean anything to you, but they do to us. We have an opportunity to do it. This is why we do stuff like this. And some people, they get it. Other people don't. And if it if the meaning of this escapes you, I completely understand. If it's not for you, uh, totally it's okay. But we do reach out to a certain type. And there will be people who say, boy, I like that show because of the way it looks. Boy, I like that show because of the professionalism. Boy, I like that show because of the way the host looks. Wait a minute, what's this train wreck? And they'll sit there and they'll watch it. And then we reach people and we have the emails to prove it. The method works. So that's why we do it that way. This coming summer, we're going to try and reach out to any place in the nation who wants to hear the facts about the Mormon-Christian debate. Take a look at our new and improved, hopefully non-boring, announcement.
Yeah, check us if you want. If you're anywhere, if you're watching streaming video and you want to contact us, we'll help start to arrange the summer tour. Let us know. And you can go, of course, to www.hotm.tv for more information. I got a nine-page single-space uh, typed uh, letter and then a follow-up letter, four-page single-space type. And the first line of it is, I wanted to come in here, your work to re-educate the LDS and draw them away from their contradictory teachings and anti-Christian beliefs. That's the first line. The rest of it is trying to tell me how I have absolutely no right in the world to criticize anything about the Catholic Church. Now, um, I think it's time for some clarifications. Um, we may lose maybe support, some support and friends from this, but... Um, Peace if possible, truth always. I can assure you that if I had been raised a Catholic, uh, the first book that we wrote would be called I Am a Born Again Catholic. And uh, the show would be about reaching Catholics. And if I was raised in a Southern Baptist church that was fanatical on some things, this show would be probably today about Southern Baptists. Whatever. Um, uh, crazy charismatic stuff that's not biblical or or legalisms, or anything that we cut our teeth on, we would be doing a, sh a show on that. Saving faith is not tied to any religion. Uh, on the contrary, religions may actually serve to keep people from saving faith. Catholicism, man-made. Okay? You don't like that? You can turn the channel. Uh, does God love Catholics? Absolutely. Are some Catholics saved? Absolutely. But uh, much of its doctrine, man-made. Uh, Southern Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, Wesleyans, Pentecostals, yada, 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 organizations run by men and women, many trying to do good, all, many trying to reach God the best way they can, all of them have elements of man in them. And I think... Uh, church and religion is good. It is commanded. We gather together with like-minded believers. We seek God to hear his words uh, to some degree or another, but brick and mortar edifices do not ever and cannot ever save a person. And um, with all the robes and, and pointed hats or special, special rituals or liturgies, all those things you know, if that helps you, okay, fine, you can embrace those things, but do you have the personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? So listen, if you enjoy what I supposedly do to the Mormons, um, understand that I do this to the Mormons because I was one, and I understand Mormonism, but much of what I say is easily transferable and relatable to other earthly organizations who don't want to be picked on. I mean, you sit there and laugh, oh, look what they say about the Mormons, this Sean guy is hilarious, can you believe what he say that? And then you go to a religion that I would do the same thing to if I grew up in that. So let's just clear all that off the table and let's just try to get into what the word says and, and ask yourself, have you been born again? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what transcends all of this stuff. Okay, how about a moment from the word? Tonight we continue reading the Gospel of John chapter 4. Here at verse 43, Jesus is departing from Samaria. And verse 43 and 44 say, Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. 
That's our text for right now. The implication here is that a true and living prophet will not receive honor from his fellow uh, citizens of the community in which he came from. Jesus himself said this. On what basis? Because it's true. It's, it's a reality. And that's why he said it. Why? Because true prophets say things and live in such a way that their own reject them. Um, they are not about the things of the world. Um, but you see, the world loves successful articulate, good-looking, well-dressed men. And if, if you're a false prophet and that's what you're about, the things of the world, your community will embrace you and because that's what you are. You're successful, articulate, handsome, well-dressed, uh, and, and, and all those things. But false, prophet, uh, false prophets, uh, they often fit those bills, but true prophets um, do not. Uh, true prophets represent God and his word at all costs. They have no place to rest their heads. They openly often shun the things of this world. They often ran the risk of being called or thought of as insane. Um, they suffered doing things that men uh, of the world uh, reject, mock, and abhor. But they speak biblical truth without fear. And they don't mince words. They don't obscure the facts. But the prophet who is loved in his own country... Well, find him, and there you will find a man or a woman, prophetess, who appeals to the flesh, to human pride, uh, who make themselves uh, admirable uh, and even stand sometimes in the place of Jesus, who boasts in their own strength. I want to show you a little book someone gave me. This goes, was, was uh, printed back in uh, 30 years ago, and it, the name of this book is Pathways to Perfection. And, and on the cover of this, you might recognize this guy. This is Thomas S. Monson, now prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And 30 years ago, he wrote a book called Pathways to Perfection, with he himself standing there on the cover as if, hmm, there's our model for perfection. And uh, that's the, the imagery that uh, Mormon prophets give to their, uh, to their uh, church, is that they have really reached a level where, you know, they might be able to walk on water and we're not talking about frozen. It, they, they really think they've got it going on here. And, and, and so I think that just, I can't say any more about our subject of prophets having honor in their own country, books like that, okay. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, uh, be with us, help us um, to know your truth. Mistakes I make, forgive me. Help it to leave people's minds, but let everyone here in this audience or wherever they may be uh, who are seeking for truth know the truth because the truth, Lord, does set us free. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been casually skimming through the Book of Mormonian. We've observed some really unique problems with it. And we haven't really even examined the content of the book yet. One thing the Mormons like to hold up in the Book of Mormon as proof of it being from God and a translation from a true ancient manuscript are the names, the proper names found in the book. Within the Book of Mor uh, Mormon, there are over 300 Book of Mormon names. And that is impressive. Uh, I've tried my hand at fiction at times back in years gone by, and I struggle to write a fictional thing that has more than five characters. So to try to write a book, you have 300 different characters with unique names, most of them, uh, and many of those names tied to Hebrew, you might think, wow, maybe the Book of Mormon really was taken from an ancient source. 
So let's take a look at some of the names found in the Book of uh, Mormon and see what we discover. Now understand, what we're doing here is really a side issue. It really is a non-event in the uh, apologetic discourse between Mormonism and Christianity. This is something that takes us off course, really. But it is something, because we're co covering the Book of Mormon, it's important. Uh, J.R. Tolkien, he came up with a new alphabet and with far more uh, original names in his books, so it doesn't mean it's impossible to do. Uh, the most important issue relative to the Book of Mormonian being a fraud is... Um, is not because of things like this, but nevertheless, they're fun to talk about. Admittedly, it would be faith-promoting to find all these Hebrew-like names in the Book of Mormon if, if Joseph Smith did not have access to a, Bible, a King James Bible. If he didn't, it would really make this miraculous. Uh, but if he did, the miracle of the names in the Book of Mormon uh, is greatly diminished. Pretend I just came from the deepest part of the Amazon and I had a book with me uh, that I said was of ancient origin and of the people of the Amazon Valley. And opening it, we read some characters' names bearing uh, that say this. One character is Gufusi. Another one's name is Dania Ducula. Another's name is Dafuka. Another's name is Mikaru. Another's name is Minayupu, another's name is Pluplu, and then we have Unki Scrusis. These are all characters in my book, and I came from the Amazon and I said, here is the thing. Now, giving me the benefit of the doubt, you might say, well, if Sean here from the Amazon never had access to any of Walt Disney's books, movies, videos, uh, anything, then this truly could be a book. But what would you do if you discovered I had all of Walt Disney's books and characters and movies accessible to me there in the Amazon? And, and, and then it would sort of you'd start to say, well, where do you think he got the name like Unky Scrusis and, and Mikaru and, and, and uh, Plu Plu? So uh, that makes the names less impressive if Joseph had access to a King James Bible. So did he? Absolutely. A King James Bible? Yes, he did. In fact, the copy of the King James Bible that Joseph Smith owned in the 1820s was a bit different than the one that the LDS used today. Why? Because it contains some books in, in, in it called the Apocrypha. And uh, a strong support for the fact that Joseph and his family had a, a Bible that had the Apocrypha in it is the fact that when Joseph and Emma bought their first family Bible, it had the Apocrypha in it as well. It just went on sale for $1.5 million. Now, we're not going to take a lot of time to explain Apocryphal books in the Bible, but suffice it to say that Catholics put some Apocryphal books in their Bible, Protestants do not. The word apocrypha in Greek has several meanings, but it really means secret or hidden or something that's hidden away. Books that are kind of Gnostic sort of and a secret knowledge uh, has a major place in religious studies. But because there are divergent uh, opinions about what books are apocryphal and what books aren't, I'm not going to give you a, a laundry list, but nevertheless, the apocryphal books included in the King James Version of the Bible Joseph uh, would have used was the book of Tobias, Judith, the wisdom of Solomon, Baruch, and first and second Maccabees, okay? Those were in his uh, Bible growing up as a family. 
Why is this important relative to the Book of Mormon? Well, one of the Book of Mormon's main characters' name is Nephi. And the name Nephi is found in the apocryphal book of 2 Maccabees 1.36. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, what about the other 299 plus original names? Sandra Tanner at utlm.org uh, writes, When we examine the list of names at the end of the Book of Mormon, we notice that 141 of the names are taken directly from the Bible. So you can just take those right out. So now what do we have? We have, uh, we have some 150, 160 unique names there in the Book of Mormon. And uh, Sister Tanner says, and this is important, many names not found in the Bible seem to be made up by rearranging various syllables and changing the ending of the Bible names. For example, while the Bible speaks of Abinadab, the Book of Mormon mentions not only Abinadab, but modifications of his name in Abinadi and Abinadam. And the Bible, Sandra states, mentions a person named Kish. The Book of Mormon has Akish and Kishkumen. The Bible has Gimzo. The Book of Mormon has Gimgimno. Smith not only borrows the biblical name Helam, but he gives different derivations of it, including Helaman. The Book of Mormon uses the biblical name of Antipas, which is of Greek origin, and then Joseph builds on it to form several, several uh, names that have anti at the beginning of the prefix of each of the words, including a, a place called Anti-Nephi-Lehi. Joseph said no Greek was included on the plates from which he translated, so we know this was not a, 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 a way of Greek language somehow getting in there. Melech is found in the Bible, but Joseph calls Melech in his Book of Mormon uh, the same thing, but with a K instead of a CH. So if Joseph had taken my name from the Bible, Sean, uh, he might have also come up with the name Anti-Sean, or Seanaman, or even Shaha. That would have been a big one. And Shaha took up a spear and threw it at uh, Derekah, you know. In the Book of Mormon, therefore, we have both Nephi and Nephiha. We have Moroni and Moroniha. We have Ammon and Ammiha. And we have Mathoni and Mathoniha. And then there are expansion names and altered names. For there's a Shim, we also have a Shimnilon. The name Corianton is slightly changed three times to Coriantor, Coriantum, and Coriantumer. Smith also uses the uh, biblical word Gideon and shortens it to Gid, and then he expands it into three unique names from there. The name Riplish, Tanner points out, seems to be the base for Riplikish and Riplicum. And of course, there's the other names taken straight from the Bible, like Lehi and Enos. Then there are names of people who actually lived around his day and age. Zenos is one. That wasn't in the Bible. That wasn't anywhere uh, uh, in any sacred writings. But Zenos was actually a person who joined the Mormon church after the Book of Mormon was published. But still, that name made it way, its way into the text. Then there are the names of the cities which really get interesting. One of the biggies uh, is a fact. The fact that at the time Joseph Smith was alive, and even today, there was a set of islands near Madagascar off the southeast coast of Africa, and the name of those island, the island change is the Comoros Islands. Comoros, Comora, maybe that's a stretch. Maybe that's a stretch, Comoros, Comora. Okay, so maybe he got that from there, maybe not. 
But there's a city in the Comoros Islands at the time Joseph Smith was alive named Moroni. The Comoros Islands has a city named Moroni. After the Book of Mormon was published, Moroni was made the capital of the Comoros Islands. And so the Mormon defenders say it wasn't made the capital until after the Book of Mormon was published. But it's irrelevant. It was still a city in the Comoros Islands. Joseph Smith, looking for inspiration, opens up a map. Hey, look at this island. Comoro, Comoros. And there's a city called Moroni here. Okay, and the Lord said, Moroni, go to the hill Comora, and boom. I mean, I mean, is this possible? Do, do you really think he was inspired to come up with these, or do you think he's taken them from that place? Not enough for you? Still buying into this literary lie? Let's look at some other city names and places in the Book of Mormon as a means of perhaps a better comparison Let's look at the names and places and cities in and around the home of Joseph Smith where he lived and compare them to actual cities that he includes in his Book of Mormon. So we're going to show you some graphs. Go ahead. So we have Ogath, and then we have a place called St. Agath, and that's in, that's definitely, that's in uh, Canada. Then we have the Valley of Alma, and then we have Alma. We have Angola, and we have Angola. We have Antum, and we have Antrim. We have Antioch, and then we have the words anti. We have Boaz and Boaz. We have Connor and Comner. So Connor is an actual place that was near Joseph Smith's home, and Comner is a, is a city in the Book of Mormon. All right, near his home were also uh, St. Ephraim, and we have the hill of Ephraim. Helam and Helam with one L in the Book of Mormon. Jacobsburg and Jacob Gath in the Book of Mormon. Jerusalem's there, Jordan's there, Kishkimitas is an actual Indian place, city near Joseph Smith, and Kishkumen makes it into the Book of Mormon. Lehi, Pennsylvania is there. Lehi gets it into the Book of Mormon. Keep going. Mantua uh, and Manti, Monroe and Moroni, Manoa and Minion, Moravian Town and Morianton, Morin and Moron. Uh, I always like that name in the Book of Mormon, moron. Uh, Noah Lakes in the land of Noah. There's Oneida, New York, and then there's the place of Oneida in the Book of Mormon. You want more? Keep going. Uh, there's those, Omner and Omner, Rama and Rama with an H in the Book of Mormon, Ripple Lake and, and the waters of Ripleyancum. We have Sodom and Sidom. We have Shiloh and Shilom. We have the land of Midian and the land of Midian. We have Tecumseh. Or Tiancum, and we, Tecumseh uh, is an actual place near Joseph Smith, and we have Tiancum uh, there uh, in the Book of Mormon. So that is all really big, but perhaps even more convincing is what we're about to show you. All right? What really makes this interesting is come over here. We have a map. Derek's going to show us this map right up here on top. This, a man named uh, Holly in 1992 took the Book of Mormon. He took all the physical descriptions of where the cities were supposed to lay on the north of the East Sea to the uh, east of the West Sea and all these different places, and he made a map. And so we can see that we have Tian come over here in the Book of Mormon. We have Morianton there. We have Angola. We have Jacob, Jacob Bugath. 
We have Jerusalem here. We have Kishkumen here, Oneida here, Hill of Ephraim, Shur, Ogath, Moran. We have all these Book of Mormon cities, and he laid them out. Now, this isn't perfect. It's just his estimation. He could have gotten things wrong, but this is kind of what he put together. Now we pull back and we look at an actual map of both Canada, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and New York. And where in that large geographical area, we have Tecumseh over here, actual map. And here we have Teancum. Huh. And down here in Ohio, we have Jerusalem and Jacobsburg. And here in the Book of Mormon, we have Jerusalem and Jacobagath, or whatever you call it. And we have Moravian Town here on a real map. And we have Morianton here. And the whole thing really essentially correlates. In Pennsylvania, we have Kishkimanutas, or whatever it is, the Indian place. That's a real place. And here we have uh, Kishkumen. Where is it? Right there. Go all the way over here, we have Siloam and we have Shiloh on the real map. We have Sherbrooke here and we have Shur here. We have St. Ephraim here on a real map and we have the Hill of Ephraim for the Book of Mormon. But it was really, really translated from some ancient plates and it is scripture, don't you think? Um, Apostle Jeffreyite Hollanda, back in 1994, said... Uh, quoting LDS prophet Ezra Taft Benson, this about the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is the keystone of our testimony. Just as the arch crumbles if the keystone is removed, so does all the church stand or fall with the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. The enemies of the church understand this clearly. This is why they go to such great lengths to try and disprove the Book of Mormon. For if it can be discredited, the prophet Joseph goes with it. So does our claim to priesthood keys and revelation and the restored church. I think it's time for the Mormon church to crumble, for Joseph to go, for the priesthood to keys to get dumped in the trash, and for all to come to full faith in the author and finisher of our faith, even Jesus Christ. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Listen, in the state of Utah, we want only LDS callers, if possible. Please, LDS callers outside of Utah will take a people who are Christian, not LDS, or, or nothing is fine. We have Chris in Dallas, Texas. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, yeah. Hi, Sean. Hi. Uh, my name's Chris in Dallas. Uh, I love your show. I've been going through hundreds of your episodes lately. Um, so I had a couple questions. Yes. Okay. Um, so my stepmother uh, became a Mormon about a month ago, was baptized, and my 10-year-old brother was baptized today. Um, I'm worried that my father is going to be next. And I've been trying to teach them, uh, from what I've learned from your show, things about the church, but they don't believe me, and they tell me things I've never heard before. So I just want to kind of list those things. Um, they don't believe me about tithing. They don't believe me about the garments. Uh, apparently the church has told them tithing is not necessary. And they've also said, and this is a really weird one, uh, my oldest sister is gay, and my stepmother says that she believes no matter what that she'll go to the highest level of heaven, her gayness will not affect anything, which doesn't make sense. Um, and uh, basically the, the bishop at their church has told them that after you die, you're able to repent or be sorry or change uh, one way or another, in order to ascend from lower kingdoms to a higher kingdom or degree of glory or whatever. And I just, I don't know, is that... 
doctrine well, anywhere. Let, let's just go through all these really quickly, Chris. The first one was tithing. They're absolutely right. You can be a Latter-day Saint and not pay one cent of tithing, but you also will not be able to go to the temple. And, and probably almost every other lesson that you hear in the LDS church or speech will mention the temple as being necessary for someone to live with Heavenly Father after this life. So you can choose not to ever pay tithing and never get to go into the temple and not be sealed to your family and not live with God after this life. Or you can pay your tithing and have the ticket stamped and be able to have all those blessings. So, you know, the, the amount of pressure to pay it is immense because they put it under the auspices of to get to the temple. And so it's, it's both true and not true. The second one was wearing garments. Well, you go to the temple, you, you swear that you'll wear them day and night. So that's another one. What was the third one? Uh, the third one was that basically after you die, and this example was my oldest sister who's gay, the, that they told her after she dies, and she's not a Mormon at all, I think she's atheist or just non-religious, uh, basically that she could uh, repent or be sorry or change and ascend to a higher kingdom, somehow work her way up. Okay, Chris, so the teaching is this. If your parents go and they pay their tithing and they wear their garments and they go to the temple and they repeatedly go through and they're obedient to those covenants that they make to the Mormon church, that after everyone dies, your sister will spend some time in the lowest kingdom and then she will, Joseph Smith said, don't deny the power of the sealing. That's the priesthood sealing that they do of families in those temples and that your sister will, no matter what, uh, someday you re be reunited with your family in the celestial kingdom. That is a teaching. Let me say this. Okay. Uh, uh, your sister's gayness uh, is not what gets her in uh, to hell or into heaven. Your sister is going to go to heaven if she is born again by the Holy Spirit, receives Christ and, and says, I give my life right. to him. So the LDS have, have a really slick campaign going. And that is we are going to toss out Jesus being needed. We are going to bring in temple rights being needed. And if your parents are obedient to those temple rights, that sister they're promising her will be someday pulled up for being gay and she will be with them for eternity. And it's just a horrible, horrible lie. Does that help? Okay. Yeah, that helps a lot. And hopefully I can point to them in a couple weeks when the show's up on your website. I can have them look at it and listen to what you're saying. So I appreciate it a lot, Sean. I'm so sorry, uh, Chris, that they've gotten uh, into this. And I just pray that they will come to see the light. And you know, it might help that as you, as you kind of truthfully and lovingly share facts with them like this, and you just say, you know, mom and dad, whatever you want to state, Mormon, I just want to share these facts. You told me tithing doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you tithing does. You told me garment wearing all that. And then in a few years, what happens is everything the missionary told them is gone and they start hearing the real stuff. And they might say, wow, our son was right and walk. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Jamie and Orem. Uh, Semi-LDS question. Hi. <laughs> What's a semi-LDS question? Jamie? Jamie, are you there? Jamie's gone. We're going to Bob in Tacoma, Washington. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Hey, um, you know, uh, I'm a former Catholic, and I just wanted to let you know that... Uh, I think your statements on the Roman Catholic Church are spot on. As a former Catholic, I can 
say amen to that. Praise God. thought you'd like to know that. Thanks. Um, but I've really appreciated your stuff on uh, the gold plates and the Book of Mormon. And uh, one of the telling things for me as I've studied the, the issue is uh, what Joseph Smith uh, told um, Oliver Cowdery about the plates. And I believe that uh, you can find this in uh, 10 Years After the Mass by John Anderson. Okay. Uh, he told uh, Oliver Cowdery wanted to look at the plates, and um, uh, he asked Joseph if he could, and Joseph told him that uh, he couldn't, and that not even Joseph could look at the plates, that if he did, God would strike him dead. And uh, I find this very odd, because Joseph claimed to have seen God face-to-face. -face. Yeah. He could see God face-to-face, -face, but he couldn't see God's Word on gold plates. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. I think there's yeah, that it, element of... of it's kind of like, which is greater, the temple or the God who makes the temple? Yeah. Or, or ordained the temple. Good point. Really good point, Bob. Thanks for watching and for that information. I hope our, uh, our viewers will take it and look it up. Go to utlm.org and check these facts out. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I want to give a shout-out to uh, the resident scholar, Robert, there. Oh. Hi. Is our resident scholar here? Huh? He's, he's here. So we'll tell him hi. Oh, great. All right, Bob, take care. Take care. Bye. Uh, Sandy asked what's wrong with the Baptist church. <laughs> She's confused. You know, it's not that there's something wrong with the Baptist church. And I am not against organized religion. I mean, we have a church ourselves that's organized. It's called Campus. It's just that all religion and men's application understanding of it is, gonna, is going to be lacking in some way. If you're looking for a church to go to and be perfect, perfectly treated, perfect teachings, perfect doctrine, perfect amount of time in communion, perfect amount of time in worship, forget it. I mean, there's going to be some excesses in one way or another. You might go to some churches and, and it's, it's just handled wrong. The administration's wrong. Or you might go to a church and they're always asking for money. Or you might go to a church and they're saying you got to be slain in the spirit and they slap you on the forehead. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, religious appellations out there that come with this thing that we call Christianity. But what's beautiful about it and what the LDS don't get is that God allows for us to go where we are going to feel most, uh, where, we, where we belong. And, and if there's a lot of uh, loud music and you like that and it brings you close to the Lord, then you're allowed to do that. And there's all kinds of ways. But the bottom line thing is, do you have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's not going to come by just going to a Baptist church or a Methodist or, or a campus or, a, or whatever. It's going to happen through you getting on your face, opening up the word, understanding the holiness of God relative to, to you. And so that's, that's my point, okay? We'll try Jamie and Orem again. Jamie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jamie? Yes, this is Jamie. Jamie, you're on the air. Hi, Sean. Hi. Um, my question is I've noticed every time an LDS person speaks, whether it's in a local ward or a general conference, they all have um, very similar dialogue and mannerisms, and they enunciate certain words. And I just wondered if that is something that they're trained to do. No, it is completely uh, 
cultural and it's adapted by people who, who look up to men. And so someone who, who, who opens this book and sees Pathways to Perfection and they listen to this guy speak in general conference and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I am so grateful today to be able to speak to you from the Lord's holy tabernacle. It's a beautiful day. Then, then the guys in the sacrament meeting, they get up and the bishop says, welcome everybody. And it's just mimicking man. And there's a sing-song lilt that goes on with it's Mormon speak. The really unique thing about it is, is that it's lulling. It is like, it's like a motorboat out in the high seas. And you're on it and you're just like, and uh, I want to get off because I'm ready to throw up, but other people just go to sleep to it, you know? And that's what it's doing. Now, to be fair, we have those same things go on. Like for instance, in the South, people say, Jesus, do you want to be healed? I mean, and everything has a this to it. <laughs> so, I mean, it, people are people, and we do emulate other people around us, and that's what's going on. But with Mormonism, it is so sweet that it just makes you feel like, you know, insulin shot as soon as you meet it. Does that help? Well, I sure appreciate your show, Sean. I've learned so much, and God bless. Thanks, Jamie. God bless you. Bye-bye. From uh, a Church News and Events, this is dated uh, 23rd of February, it says, Islamic art exhibit crosses bridges of understanding. It seems that there is an Islamic art event at BYU. It's called Beauty and Belief, Crossing Bridges with the Arts of Islamic Culture. And um, this is the name of it. And there is a, there's an Islamic, Dr. Uh, Sabibha Al-Kamer, who is in charge of this uh, display. And in the words of Stephen Jones, this is a quote, Dean of the College of Fine Arts and Communications at BYU, the art communicates the idea that, quote, the truth we share is always greater and more important than our differences. End quote. Really? The truth that I share with, a murder, with Charles Manson is more important than our differences? Um, does this mean that if I have a difference with somebody about who Jesus is, let's say there's a person who thinks Jesus was a man, just a good guy, and, and that difference is, is, is not as important as the fact that we both like to fast? Jesus and who he is, is is key. And when you have differences about that, that is the most important issue. Not the similarities that we share with other faiths and the world. And this is the BYU premise. And they are building upon that, I can assure you. The man who heads the exhibit, Dr. Kamir, uh, said many vendors at the exhibit asked, why Utah? As the starting location of this exhibit, which will traverse the United States in the next 18 months. He says, here is a religious community who actually sincerely embraces the project, who are willing to cross bridges, he says. And then uh, Dr. Magleby, BYU Museum curator, said the notion of bridges is in the title of the exhibition, bridges between people who share a culture of fasting, who share a culture of faith, who share a culture of sincere and frequent prayer 
of dependence upon God, of honoring the name of God, and even the notion of pilgrimage and giving alms. He continued, we certainly want to reinforce the notion that peace is a major message of people of good faith everywhere. What did Jesus say, my friends, about peace? He said, let me tell you something, I didn't come to bring it. He brings it within the individual. He is not bringing world peace. And this is just going right down the line of where the whole world is headed. And more and more, you know, I'm not a prophet, I'm, I'm nothing but a guy, but in my estimation, more and more this, this unity, this one world unity, sing kumbaya, accept everybody, uh, Christianity, true Christians are gonna be seen more and more and more on the outset because we say, no, no, no. I don't care if you fast. I don't care what you do. If you don't know Jesus, you will go to hell. And that message is going to more and more separate true believers of Christ from the rest of this fallen world. Okay, we have uh, Keegan and Provo. Keegan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hi, Keegan, you're on the air. Oh, is this Sean? This is. Hey, Sean, you, uh, my name's Keegan, I'm from Provo, and <laughs> I just, I am a, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. I've grown up LDS, I'm a Mormon. Um, and I just had a question, is with this, like, you talk a lot about why our church is wrong, um, but I've grown up my whole life being raised that Jesus Christ is, is my Savior, and absolutely without Jesus Christ, nothing I do in this life can help me or save me. And so I was just wondering, like, how that's wrong. It's not, it's there, not, it's not wrong if that is taught that way, Keegan, if, if you're taught that Jesus Christ is your Savior, there is nothing you can do to save yourself, and that uh, He is the beginning and end, the author and finisher of your faith, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that message. The question is, Keegan, is what you're saying really true? Okay, well, and, and just like, I just don't understand like we spent this whole time just bashing on other churches rather than just talking about Jesus Christ. Okay, Keegan, Keegan, I get your premise. I, get, I heard your premise. Now let me give you a response. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, said that God came to him and said, all Christian, all Christianity, Christendom is abhorrent. It's, it's, it's an abomination. And the professors of Christian creeds, they speak with words that sound like they're from him, but their heart is far from him. Missionaries every door, Keegan. Have you been on a mission yet? Yeah, oh yeah, I served a full two-year mission. After yeah, when you went to the door and you got into your discussions, did you tell, ever tell people it doesn't matter what church you belong to? If it's Christian, you're going to go straight to the highest level of heaven, Keegan? Or did you tell them, you know, the church fell into an apostasy? And Mormonism brought back all the truth, and we're the only ones who are truly true, and the rest of Christendom will not get you to live in the highest kingdom with God. That's what you taught them, kingdom. So, Keegan, so your call here, and you give a presentation, and it sounds so nice. Why don't we just all talk about Jesus and peace, love, and understanding? But your very doctrines in your scripture and in the uh, speeches by your leaders says the exact opposite. You said the opposite on your mission. Joseph Smith said the opposite when he said God visited him. So who drew first blood, Keegan? I didn't hear your last part there. Who, I mean, who's doing that? You're, you're pointing at me and saying, how come I just don't, you know, just get along with everybody? Jesus didn't get along with everybody. Read Matthew chapter 23. 
He called the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, all sorts of uh, pejorative terms because they were not teaching truth. And so Keegan, uh, you know, you know you believe and teach that you are the only true church on the face of the earth and a person has to receive your ordinances from your priesthood in order to live with God. That is anathema to the gospel of Jesus okay. Christ found in the Bible. So Go I ahead. got a question. Like you, you say the, the way to be saved, and I, and I agree with this, um, and maybe we just have different understanding, is just it's to accept Christ as your Savior, right? Well... Uh, it's, we, we, we summarize it with that phrase, to accept Christ as your Savior. But you got to understand what is built into that statement. Jesus came to the Jews and he said to them, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sin. You will go to hell. Now, Keegan, do you believe Jesus is the I am in the sense that he is the very eternal God? He was not created. He, was, he, could, he has no beginning or end. Do you believe that he's the I am, Keegan? Man, and I'm sorry, Sean. You're kind of, like my phone, it's not getting the best reception. Do, do you believe I Jesus? Hear, I heard you say, do you believe something? Do you believe Jesus is the I am? Oh, I absolutely believe he's the I am. Do you believe he was created? Do I believe what, sorry, sir? Do you believe he was created? Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I created. can't. I'm not. Trying to make this hard. I just okay. can't hear you. The audience can hear it. And uh, so what I'm going to do is because the connection's bad, uh, uh, we can't do anything about that because you and I aren't going to be able to have a conversation. So I'm going to hang up. And we're going to take Karen from Leighton, but I'm going to answer that question. Uh, Keegan, in his faith, believes Jesus was created. He was gathered by in intelligent uh, lights out in the cosmos. So was Lucifer, Satan, they call Lucifer. So were each of us, and we were put together and put in spirit bodies, Jesus too. And the Father, who was once a man with his wife, sent Jesus and all of us down to earth. And Jesus had to come here, and he had to overcome his flesh so that he could become a God, and so will we. And this is all part of Mormonism. So they don't believe he is the I am. They don't believe he was uncreated, that he is immutable, that he's eternal. They believe he is uh, someone who is progressing in his deity. And uh, that's one of the main differences. And obviously, we could go on and on with the rest. Karen and Layton, first time caller, LDS. Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Uh, I've been so confused and, um, oh, and not at peace. And I've been a member of the church for probably 55 years. Uh-huh. And I, there's just so many things about it that for a long time I just haven't felt like we're right. And um, I'm, I don't know how to get this confusion um, remedied. I, I just, and I've been scared to call in, mm -hmm. but I just got the courage tonight to do it. And I'm, I'm just about on the verge of tears. I have been for a long time. And You're doing good, Karen. Too. You're doing really well. And it takes courage to call a, a raving, ranting maniac like me. So uh, you are a seeker and you want to know the Lord. And you, uh, you know, you can't believe me, but right now I'm going to give you a suggestion, okay? okay? And that is, Karen, you go to the Lord, you directly to him. You see, this was made possible by the shed blood of his son. And you say, Lord, I want to know your truth. Forgive me 
for my sins, whatever they may be, past, present, and future, forgive me. I want you to be Lord, King of my life. Please give me a new heart, open my eyes, and, and Karen, once he does, and he will, because you have a sincere heart, you will begin to see life in a way where your fear, your confusion will melt away. Now, it's not gonna be easy, but it will melt away. It's not because I say it. It's not because anyone else is saying it. You do that. Do you want to do it on the air? Because I've been in the church for so long. Yeah. And I don't know if you know what I mean. Or, I do know what you mean. But, you know, all my family's in it. My kids have gone on a mission. But I just don't feel the peace. And, and I... I just need to do what you say. Do you want to do it now? You want me to help you or you want to do it alone? It's hard for me to hear you. What is wrong with these phones? Do you want, do you want me to help you or do you want to do it alone, Karen? We lost her. Yeah? Oh, no, we didn't. Do you want to, do you want to pray with me or do you want to pray alone? I'll, I'll pray alone. Okay. And then I'll send you an email and let you know how I, it goes. I would love it. And listen, I live in the state now, so my wife and I would be glad to meet you anytime and talk. And believe me, I'm not, it's not going to be an arm wrestling match. We're just going to talk about the Lord, and we're going to encourage you in Him. Go to Him, Karen. He is your God. He is your Creator. And He wants you to come to Him, and that relationship is invaluable, invaluable, for you here and then into the eternities. Test it. Try him out. He is a God who wants you to test and try him. He's waiting to bless you with that peace that you haven't had, okay? Okay, I sure appreciate that. There's a lot of people I can tell right now are praying for you, and so they're going to continue to. Your name's Karen, and so let me know, okay? I will. I'll email you. Thanks. Okay, God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we have, uh, do we have a call? Line two, yes, no. What do Mormons do for three hours on Sunday? Well, mostly sleep. Uh, ha, 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 ha. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they have a block. It's called the block meeting. For the first hour, they go to a sacrament service, and that's where they renew the covenants that they made at baptism. Each week they go and they take water and bread, and they take this and it cleanses them of the sins they've committed during the week. They promise to be obedient and they hear talks and they, do, they sing. Their singing is, is often beautiful and they uh, give prayers and then they go off into groups. Men go to one group, women go to another, kids and teens go to their group. And then they go to Sunday school where everybody recombines. Each one of those things lasts an hour. And that's what they do for that three hours in what they call their block. 82-year-old man had to pay 600 in tithing to attend his grandchild's wedding. Uh, that's on the screen. An 82-year-old man called in, and that's not unheard of. You get behind on your tithing. You haven't paid it, and suddenly someone in your family is going to get married in the temple. And guess what? Unless you're caught up on your tithing, you don't get to go in. So you get to make a choice. You can lie to them and say you've paid your tithing, 10% on the gross if you want gross blessings, 10% on the net if you want net blessings, and... It, you pay up what you owe, and then you can see your child get married. Just to let you know, downtown, the most elaborate hotel, I can't remember the name, I, I can't remember the name of it, 
That hotel's owner, he's the dinosaur gas guy mogul, he had to pay a million plus in back tithing so that he could go in and see his daughter get sealed in the LDS temple. It's a business model. It's a business model, my friends, and God is not about that business. He's about the business of saving souls, of releasing the captive, of setting the captives free. If you don't have the peace of God in your heart, go to him like Karen said she will, and he will set you free. I promise you, but you got to go to him, not me or anybody else. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Fine looking off.